And so the title of my address or my sermon, my talky bit that I have for you today is kind of what I'd like to set the trajectory for us as a church for 2016. So here it is, and you see it in your bulletin. For 2016, let's not be great, but just good. Let's not strive for greatness. Let's just be good. All right, I want you to hang on to what you right now are thinking. That's a fairly mediocre approach to a year, okay? Stay stay with that because think about it now, all right? It's 2016, all right? 2015 has come and gone. What was 2015 like for you as you reflect and as you look back on it? And what are you hoping for in 2016? Or what are you hoping 2016 will be like? Now, by show of hands, personal confession time, how many of you made New Year's resolutions this year? Oh, more than the kids, a handful of people over here. I think a lot of you did, but you're probably afraid that I'm going to do a gotcha thing. Um, Okay, let me ask this. How many of you have broken already your New Year's resolutions? (laughs) There you go. Steve's, Steve's broken some. There you go. Have you ever thought about how the fact that New Year's resolutions or what we hope for in a given year probably changes from the time when we're kids to teenagers in college to adults to seniors? Have you ever noticed that kids, they tend to view time and years in terms of events, right? My birthday, Christmas, Easter, the end of school, the beginning of school, that great vacation. Whereas uh, teenagers or young adults try to look at them as milestones. We tend to think of things in milestones, not necessarily in years, like when I get my driver's license, when I finally am allowed to date or when I'm finally allowed to uh, stay alone in the house by myself, or I'm finally allowed to set my own schedule, or I get my first job. And then as we get a little older, we think about, when will I finally get married? Or what will be my career? Or when I go to school and I get out on my own, and then you get married, and we start to think in terms of, when will I have kids? Or will I have kids? How will I pay a mortgage? Or can I buy a house? And then you get into the senior years where you're happy if you wake up in the morning, right? Or you tell things, my parents came to visit us, um, and my dad's life is now dictated by this Monday to Sunday pill bottle thing that he has that keeps him in line, and he has to check it uh, throughout the day. Um, So we, we change the way we approach life and years, don't we, depending on where we're at. Well, for a few moments this morning, I want us to think about last year. I want us to think about what went right or what went wrong. For some of you, you're thinking in terms of, man, school was tough last year. School was tough last year. For others of you, you'd be like, well, you know what? I wonder, will 2016 be the year I find a boyfriend, I find that girlfriend, I find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, or I find that perfect job, or I I go on that wonderful trip that I've been dreaming about, or I find that friendship, that relationship. Now, let me get, since we're in a church and it's kind of Sunday, let me ask this question. How was 2015 for you spiritually? What was it like for you spiritually? In the last 12 months, as you review the last year, where were you or where are you with God and your relationship with Christ? How do you view church or how do you view organized religion, so to speak? How do you process your past as it relates to your present and affects your future? 
how would you like 2016 to go then in light of what you're thinking about in regards to 2015? So for some of you, if I asked you, man, are you hoping that 2016 is a great year? Some of you might go, yes. If you asked me, I would say, to you, I hope that 2016 is a good year. I hope that 2016 is a good year in my life, the life of our family, and the life of this church. And on this first day of 2016, this first, sorry, first Sunday, I would like to propose this little radical, different than how our culture would view things. I don't want us to strive this year to be great. I want us to strive and toil to be good. I don't want us to look to break records or to wow this city or this province or the world with our success as a church. I don't want to shock them with all of our great uh, music or our programs or if we build a new building or buy a new building. I want to shock this city with our faithfulness and our settled determination as a group of people to simply know Jesus more. That's right. Will Calvary Baptist Church, will you and I that make up this church with your family and your workplace, with your friends and your neighbors in your neighborhoods, see you, see us, see this church as a biblically good church this year? You see, I deliberately chose good because good is the language of the Bible. In fact, from the book of Acts to the book of Revelation, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you have Acts right to the end of the New Testament, the word good is used 161 times in 151 different verses in the New Testament. We are called to do good and to be good. We're called to have a good reputation. We're told to proclaim the good news. We're told to do, be full of goodness and to be good stewards. We're called to be good servants. We're told to do good to our neighbor and to have good courage. We're told to have good morals, that all things work together for good. And according to Romans 8.28 in Galatians chapter 5, goodness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. You see, the word great and greatness in the Bible especially from Acts to Revelation, is almost exclusively, exclusively reserved for God, for salvation, for God's wrath or his judgment. Or greatness or great is often associated with the fruit of trusting in God. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, uh, Paul would say, godliness with contentment is great gain. That's when it's great. And I would like you to hang on to that verse and that thought. But let's turn to 1 Timothy 4. I want to read verses 1 to 10, but we're only going to look at verses 6 to 10. I'm going to deal with five, 1 to 5 next week, Lord willing, as I watch the clock and we'll get us out of here on time. All right? So Paul is writing to Timothy, who is being sent to the church at Ephesus. And the reason being was this good church had gotten bad in regards to bad leadership. And this church was starting to stray away. They were talented. They were gifted. They were uh, influencing many around them. It was a growing church. It was a, it was a good church. It had great pastors in the past. But now bad leadership had come in. They were starting to stray away from things. They were getting away from certain things. And they were starting to get caught up in certain things. And so in the middle of this letter now, Paul is going to start warning Timothy and giving him some real practical stuff about how the church at Ephesus should function. So he says... Now the Spirit expressly says, this is something that the Holy Spirit is expressly saying, here's a reality of 2015 into 2016, that in latter times, 
Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to specific things, to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And this is how they do it. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And this is what they say. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything, Paul says, created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it, is, if it is received with thanksgiving and for it is made holy. Now notice this, if you write in your Bible, underline, by the word of God and prayer. That's how things are received with thanksgiving, by the word of God and prayer. Now he gets addressing him, he says, if you put these things before the brothers and if you circle brothers right in church, he's talking, he's saying, Timothy, if you, if you put the church, if you put this stuff before the church, you will be, notice, a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Now, I love this for New Year's. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full of acceptance. This is the third time that Paul has used this expression in the first four chapters of 1 Timothy. This is of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive. Why do we do all of what he's just said? Because we have our hope set on the living God, not the dead God, not the hope you're there, God, on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. I want us to walk through this this morning as we kind of set a trajectory for this year for Calvary Baptist Church. I want us to be a good church this year, not a great church. All right, Paul laid this theological foundation in this first Timothy, and now you're going to see him being very practical about how to apply this theology. So, are you ready? Here's the groundbreaking, earth-shattering, life-changing way that Paul says you live life as a church. Basically, did you catch it when I read? Here it is. Read your Bible, pray, apply, repeat. There it is. Ta-da. That's, that's what it is. That's what it is. Read your Bible, pray, apply, repeat. It's kind of like what's on the back of every shampoo and conditioning bottle in your house, right? You put it in, you rinse it, you rinse it out, and it says repeat, and you do that. Think about your life. Think about how much of it is made up of doing things over and over again so that you can be clean, healthy, or really good at something. How many times do you brush your teeth? How many times do you wash your hand, get a shower? How many times do you wash your clothes, make your bed? How many things that you just do over and over and over again? And they are the little things of life, but they really set your life on the right trajectory. I told uh, ben, and ben that I was going to pick on him a little bit because Ben's in karate, right? Just got his belt. Which belt was it you got? Brown belt. So he's almost got lethal weapons in here. So I have to be careful how I'm treating Ben. But you know what? If you talk to Ben or if you talk to someone that plays hockey or you talk to someone that's done baseball or soccer or any of these things, all right, it doesn't matter whatever you want to be good at. You know what? There's a lot of time spent just practicing. 
just doing basic things over and over and over again. If you look at how much time Ben will spend in tournaments versus how many times he'll just go and meet with his class, meet with his sensei, and he just does the same movements over and over again. I remember when I did hockey as a kid growing up, and the games were, were small compared to how much practicing we had to do how many drills we had to do, and how many things you just did over and over and over again just to be good at something, just to be good at something. So with that as our baseline, I want to remind us that 2015 was an awesome year in the life of this church. It was an awesome year, but it was a year of change, wasn't it? You got a new pastor. There's been new people that have come, new families. We've had people move away. We've had new faces come. We've experienced new birth and we've experienced baptisms. We've experienced the need to look in new directions as we ask the Lord to guide us in regards to our facilities and so on and so forth. We've also had some pain. We've said goodbye to people. We've experienced death. We've walked through funerals. We've had many ups and downs, disappointments, and great expectations. Some of you, 2015 is a year you can't wait to forget. For some of you, you're going to hang on to 2015 because it was a special year. It was a year of change. Some people here got engaged. Some people here are ready to move on to new phases of life. Some have made entirely different plans for their life based on the last 12 months. It was a year of change. But what I would like to propose for us based on our passage is that 2016 be, are you ready for this? The year of the Bible. That 2016 be the year of of the Bible. And here's our mantra. Here's what you're going to hear me say till you're sick of me saying it, all right? Because the idea is just when I get sick of saying it, you're going to start to get it. So here's the thing that we're going to start to do every single week, every time you hear from me, we are going to learn it, love it, and live it in 2016, the Word of God. We're going to make the Bible our priority in 2016. We are going to learn it, we're going to love it, and we're going to live it. That's what you're going to hear me talking about over and over and over again as individuals, as families, as a church, that we learn God's word and we learn to love God's word and then we learn to live God's word. And even your elders, we got together this past week and spent a considerable amount of time in the word of God and prayer and testimony. And we want to have a goal for ourselves and our goal as elders is to be servants and make servants. It's to be servants and make servants. My heart's desire for this church in 2016 is that you will see in me, in Paul, in Daniel, in Jeff, even in Brother Steve Da, who we want to put before you as a church, as a new elder for 2016, is that we will be servants. And you will see us making servants, that we will pour our lives into you and into people in this city. And so this is what we want to do. So I don't want us to strive for greatness. The Bible doesn't call us to. I don't want us to try and come up with something new and exciting to pump ourselves up or attract all kinds of new people. I want to be like Vince Lombardi. Remember I told you about Vince Lombardi, the great coach of the Green Bay Packers? That's for Jillian, wherever she is. I don't see her. Is she still here in the room or she's off at Children's Church? All right. So Jillian is our rabid Green Bay Packers fan, but he is considered the greatest coach. And I basically after a tremendous loss, he gathers the whole team together. And instead of yelling at them, he says, boys... Men, we're getting back to the basics. And he says, this is a football. All right? So for 2016, Calvary, this is a Bible. We're going to get familiar with it this year. 
We're going to spend a lot of time with it. Not just on Sunday. We're going to get into God's word. We're going to embrace God's plan to be like him and to give him glory. Because you know what? That's going to have the greatest effect on the people around us and on this city. So number one, here's my number one thing for you to take this year. Will we be a good eating church this year? All right, will we be a good eating church? Think about New Year's resolutions. What do you think the top two resolutions are were made at some point on December 31st? Lose weight, and how do we do that? We're gonna eat different or eat better, and what is the other thing we're gonna do? Exercise, right? We're gonna exercise. Those are the, and a lot of people break it by the time they get to even to midnight of December 31st, especially if they went to a New Year's Eve party, all right? But those are the two most popular resolutions. I want to lose weight. I want to eat better. I want to do these things. I want you to think about this. Now, look at what Paul says to Timothy in our passage. Paul calls on Timothy to be, notice, a good teacher and then to be, have godly training. And that's so important because in verse 10, we have a good mission. All right, if you really want verses 6 to 10 in a nutshell and something you can take with you, we need to be good teachers by doing godly training because we have a good mission. We have a good mission. So if we're going to eat well as a church this year, my first admonition to us is you and I need to be good at reading and applying the Bible. We need to be good at reading and applying the Bible the Bible. Now, you guys have heard me say this before that are at Calvary for our visitors. My grandfather, I loved him to death. Um, He would say to me over and over again, Stephen, it doesn't have to be complicated to be profound. It doesn't have to be complicated to be profound. And if we're going to be a good church this year, we got to be a church that gets into the Word of God. We have to get into the Word of God. We must grow in the knowledge and the grace and strength of God. We must read God's Word, and we must obey it. So why do we need to be resolved to feed on God's word and to exercise our lives in godliness? Well, let me tell you, Tim Keller captures it well when he says, the problem with the world is it blames problems on things besides sin and identifies salvation on things besides God. That's your world. We want to find always someone or something to blame, but we don't ever want to blame ourselves And we always want to look for something that will bring us salvation. And we always look everywhere but God. And so that's why we have to be a people in the word of God. Notice what Paul says in verse 6. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. That is, he got into the word of God. Paul starts with the positive and then he goes to the negative. All right, he says to him, don't stray after that which isn't God's word in verse seven. To have the right diet, you've got to eat right. You got to eat right. And you you know what? Listen, this is why. Notice what he says. Verse seven, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. All right, basically saying anything outside of of the Bible, that's junk food. That's junk food. All right. Now, the thing about junk food is it tastes great. Junk food tastes great. It's got lots of sugar, lots of preservatives. It's usually quick and easy to make, so it's quick, but it's not good for you in the long run, right? Let's, let's be honest. What's better for you? How easy is it to take the wrapper off a of flaky 
or to go downstairs and find a good orange and peel it. And yet you got to go through the work of peeling it. And then you got to hope that it's juicy and you got to hope there's not too many seeds in it. And then usually you get juice on your fingers, which means they get sticky. And so it's just easier to have the flaky. Of course, because then you get sugar on your fingers and then you get to lick your fingers and everything. And it's just a really positive, good experience, isn't it? But meanwhile, it turns your blood to sugar, right? Your blood becomes syrup. And hence, we have the rise in diabetes and everything else, right? So, but you got to realize, it is, it is tempting to chase after things. Sometimes just consistently reading God's word will straight up seem boring. How many of you have seen someone that's got a, a great set of teeth or is really well kept and thought they just got out of bed like that? No, they didn't. They worked hard at a lot of little stuff so that they can look like that. When you watch those figure skaters or that hockey player, or that baseball player, or that great ballet uh, dancer or whatever, they didn't just wake up one morning and have those skills. They did something. They ate right. They exercised. They did all of the things that they had to do, and they did it for the glory of the sport that they were in or for them, for the glory of themselves. But for us, the church, we're doing it for the glory of God. So we need to read God's word. We need to be in God's word. And so Paul says that a good diet makes for a good servant. So Calvary Baptist Church, a good diet makes for a good church, which is God's word. God's word is better than books. And I love books. If you walk down that hall to my office, it's filled with books. But John Piper, who I love, love listening to him, love reading him, he was the one that said this, when all your favorite preachers are gone, and their books are forgotten, you will have your Bible. Master it. Master it. We need to be a people of God's Word. And how do you master God's Word? You got to read it, you got to pray it, and you got to memorize it, and then repeat. That's what you do. You pray it, you, you read it, you pray over it, and you memorize it, and you repeat over and over. What does the, the, the psalmist say? David says in Psalm 1, I, I quoted this, Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the, anybody know? Ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor stands in the seat of the scornful, right? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now, that's not he meditates five minutes or so per day. That's not he gets to it hopefully once a week. That's, that's not he treats his Bible like we often treat the fire hose at the hospital and at the mall, right? With the big letters, to break glass in case of emergency. No, no, no. In his law, he meditates day and night. It's a part of you. It's a part of what you read and spend time with. You do this because when all the preachers are gone, when all the books are gone and forgotten, you'll have your Bible. What does the psalmist say in one, Psalm 119? He says, in Psalm 119, open my eyes, O Lord, that I may behold wondrous things from your law. How many of us do that? We go to the Bible and say, Lord, open my eyes. Help me see something. We have to do this. It's interesting. You know what Jesus prays in John 17, the actual prayer of Jesus? The, the Lord's prayer is not Matthew 9, 6 to 9. That's the model prayer. That is a model for how to pray. The Lord's prayer is John 17. And in John 17, verse 3, Jesus says this, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, I want you to catch that. Eternal life is not living forever in heaven. 
Eternal life is not eternal life is not a mansion over a hilltop where you've got a mansion, a harp, and a crown. That's a southern gospel song. All right? No, no, according to the Bible, eternal life is to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. How do you do that? You got to know his word. You got to spend time in his word. And notice we do this in community. Paul says, the brothers in verse 6. That is his way of saying the church. He's saying we train together, we study together, we read God's word together, and that's why Ephesians 4 is so important. See, when Paul wrote to the Ephesians directly, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to read it for you. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers. That's basically the pastors, the elders, all right? And he says, this is why he gave them, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So pastors don't do all the work of church. Pastors preach and teach and love and pray over you to get the church to do the work of the church. We do this together. And here's, listen to Paul. He says, we do equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ, why? Until we all, every one of us, attain to the unity, there's John's message from last week, right? The unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Here's how you know if you're growing in God's Word. How easily... Do you, are you like the dog in the movie Up? Squirrel! Or can you just focus in on God's word? You see, children, and this is not to pick on our kids because we got some really smart kids, but kids are gullible. There's a reason why we've got, huh, got your nose, right? And kids, kids are like, oh, right? Or, or we take the little quarter and we, and we flash it from behind and go, look, I, look what I found behind your ear. And then kids are shaking their heads, giving themselves concussions, trying to get money to fall out, Right? Well, Paul says basically when we grow in the word of God, we are not easily fooled by the junk food of the world. We're not easily fooled by the things that take us away from what gives God glory and all these types of things. And so he says not by being children who are tossed to and fro, rather a mature church, a good church, speaks the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is it, is it is equipped. That's every one of you that's a part of the church. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what we need to be about. So we need to be a church that eats right. We need to read God's word and we need to apply it. Secondly, you and I need to be good at praying and thinking about ourselves according to the Bible. Now I want you to think through that. If we are going to be a good church and we're going to get into the Bible, that means we have to be good at praying and thinking about ourselves according to the Bible. So finding ourselves. Don't we have those cliches? I need to go find myself. When anybody tells me that, I give them a Bible and say, go find yourself in here. It is the best place to find yourself. You won't find yourself on the top of Mount Everest in Nepal. You'll just find it's hard to breathe. All right, that's what you'll find. If you want to find yourself, you want to find meaning in life, you got to find yourself in God's word. So let me ask this practically. 
and I know this is a bit of a downer for New Year's Eve, but let me add, or New Year's sermon, but where are you going to spend most of your time in the coming year? Think about that. Most of your leisure time. I'm talking about how, what will you fill your mind with this year? How many t- TV hours will you consume? How many movies will you watch? How many hours will you spend reading fictional books or watching sports or spending money and time on hobbies or just general entertainment? How much of that will make up your life this year versus how much time you will spend with God, thinking about God, with God's people? John MacArthur put it like this when he said, when we continually fill our minds with the filth of this world, we do ourselves a great spiritual disservice. And then Tim Keller put it like this. We tend to think of the Bible as a book of answers to our questions, and that's it. However, if we really let the text speak, we may find that God will show us that we are not asking the right questions. We often go to the Bible like it's an encyclopedia, but it's not. It's the living Word of God. And so Romans 12 says us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In Philippians 4, 8, we're told that whatever is good and whatever is pure and whatever has virtue and whatever has praise, to think on these things. And so we need to pray before we go to God's word and after we go to God's word. And that's why. So practically speaking, Calvary, let me give you five we needs. We need to pray reverently. We need to pray reverently. We are coming to God our Father. Listen, he's not the big guy upstairs. He's not the big guy upstairs. He's not your sugar daddy. He's not your partner in the faith. We need to come reverently to God in prayer. He is God our Father. He is God our Father. But notice, we also need to pray sincerely and desperately. See, we're admitting we need God. When we come to God's word, one of the reasons why I think people start to read God's word and then they fail to stay at it is because sometimes it can be boring. Sometimes it's hard stuff in here. Sometimes it's hard to understand. And we're not desperate enough in prayer to say, Lord, I'm reading it and I'm trying to understand it and it seems hard. But but don't we avoid a lot of things that way? How many of us in our marriages have those hard conversations with our spouse? Where we'd rather pretend it's all okay instead of having that difficult conversation, which is, look, I'm trying to hear you. I'm trying to understand you, but you're saying stuff and I don't get it. And you got to have that awkward conversation. But when you do, there's not been a couple I've met yet that when they fight through that struggle, will not have a better marriage on the other side. How many of us will do that with God's word and in prayer? We need to pray sincerely and desperately. We need to pray seeking forgiveness. Remember what David said in Psalm 32? He tried to go to the Lord, but he didn't want to deal with his sin. And he tried to hide it, and he tried to pretend he had it all under control. And he tried to pretend that it wasn't there. And he said, my bones melted like wax, and my heart was hard. And then you get to Psalm 51, when he finally just confesses, and he says, have mercy upon me, O God, against you, and you only have I sinned. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. He's completely different in prayer when he finally just confesses. We need to pray confident that God not only hears us, but wants to hear from us. You are not bugging God when you pray. You're not boring him when you pray. 
That's what Hebrews chapter 4 is all about. Jesus Christ lived the life that you and I could not live, experienced all of the life that we have experienced, the ups and downs of it, the hardships of it, so he understands our pain. He understands our discouragement. He understands our fears. He understands our desperation. So we can go to him now. We can go to God as Father because of Jesus. So you can go, and he's not like, are you here again? Or I haven't got time for you. No, no, God never says that. And finally, we need to pray in Jesus' name. We need to pray in Jesus' name. Jesus said this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that if you'll ask anything in my name, my Father will give it to you. So those are the the things of prayer. Charles Spurgeon expresses it like this. I don't think the devil cares how many churches we build if we only have lukewarm preachers and lukewarm people in them. You see, if we're not on fire for the Lord, the devil doesn't care. He'd love you to play church. Our country is filled with people playing church. But will we be a good church that's consumed with God's word? And that's the kind of preacher I will be and it's the kind of church we will be if we're not together in God's word and we're not together in prayer. And so we need to do that. So how do we do this? Let's make this really practical this morning. How are we going to be a good church, having a good diet? We're going to feed on God's word, and we're going to pray and think through God's word. Let me give you again five principles very quickly, all right? Always approach God's word with humility. I want everybody in this room to realize you don't know this book. You might know where a whole bunch of things are found. You might know the name of some random king of the tribes of Judah. You might know the names of uh, Moses' parents. You might know the Hebrew names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But that doesn't mean you know God. Remember at the end of Romans chapter 11, when Paul says, who can understand God? If you want to get to know God, though, you've got to get into this book. Not simply so you can brag about your factoids, but do you know him? Do you know him? been married to Debbie almost 24 years. I can give you all kinds of facts about Debbie. But what matters to her is do I know her? Do I know what pleases her? Do I know what hurts her? Do I know when she's strong or when she's weak? Do I, do I know what delights her? Do I understand her? Do I seek to know her, to know her for knowing her, not just to know her for what I can get out of her? And how many of us yet, we approach God and his word Forgive me the formula so I can get a bunch of stuff from God. When God's saying, I will give you me. And that's the greatest thing. That's what we need to be as a church this year. We need to approach God's word with humility. Secondly, don't sweat quantity. Be about quality, but spend time with the quality. All right? So listen, if you want to, go to our church website. for If you are looking to read God's Word systematically, we have a reading plan for every type of personality, male, female, young and old, you will find it. I am not saying to you that you're not a good Christian if you don't read 50 chapters a day. And if you don't spend hours and hours and hours, that's not what I'm saying. I am saying some days you may only read a passage. Some days you may hang on to a verse. But don't just do, do this where you go, okay, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would father, younger man, his brothers, older women, his mother's younger. There, I've read the Bible. Okay, now let's hit the end of the day. And you know if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Because there's a difference between the, the fly-by shooting, I love you, 
You know what I'm talking about? Like you got a piece of toast in, in, in the mouth, you're pulling, you're yanking on the shoe, the jacket's half off, and you're out the door. Versus when you take the time and, and you give your spouse that six second kiss and go, I love you, baby. Mm. You light my fire. Ooh. Right? You, you know what I'm talking about. All right? Now, that's not a big ordeal, but, but there's quality. There's spending time. There's thinking through this. So it's not about quali- quantity. I'm not saying you got to read the whole Bible in a month. What I am saying, when you do read God's Word, think about it. Think about it. Concentrate on what you've read. Take it with you into the day, on your break, at your lunch, at some point, think about what you read. Evaluate how your day's going based on what you've read. And then seek to know it and obey what it says. Seek to know God's word and obey what it says. What's the good if you read, all right? Be uh, forgiving one another, even as God, and has, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And you read it and you go, okay, that's a great verse. And then you go to work and somebody does you wrong and go, yeah, you know what? I'm going to hold a grudge against you for the next six months. That's kind of missing the point of the, ber- the verse you just read. What if the Bible says, you know, um, don't use profanity. Don't let your, your speech be seasoned with salt, things that build up and edify. And then you go to work and all you do is rant and complain and tear down and gossip. And, and all you do is poke fun. Well, you're really not doing what the Bible says to do. So make sure you seek to know it and obey what it says. Number four, ask God to show you himself and the joy of trusting him at his word. Come to the Bible and say, Lord, show me you and show me the joy of obeying you. Show me the joy of staying right with you. What did the psalmist say in Psalm 119? If you want to do anything this week, I challenge you to read Psalm 119. It is the one of the greatest chapters of the Bible when it comes to knowing how to approach the Bible. But the psalmist says over and over again, your statutes are my delight. Your laws are like sweet honey. Your testimonies are what delight my soul. And you read that and you go, how is that possible? Because you got to spend time with him. Spend time with God's word. And ask God to show you himself. And then finally, be patient and stick with it. Be patient and stick with it. All right, when I, I was teasing Ben, I wrapped my hand around Ben. I said, listen, Ben, I'm going to use you an example in church today. So he gave me permission, all right? But the reason he's a brown belt is because he's had to be patient and stick with it. And I know there's probably been times when Ben has thought, is this worth it? Is this worth it? I remember one time, not earlier this year, he came in and he had the big shiner on the side of his face where he leaned in a bit too close and got clocked, right? You know, and I'm sure there was times he thought, well, I don't know, man. I don't know if I'm digging this. Or maybe he thought, no, this is a badge of honor, man. Give me a couple more of these, all right? But there are times, no matter what you do in life, listen, there have been times in my marriage when I thought, is it worth it? There have been. You're tired. You're wore down. You're focused only on yourself. You feel like it's an uphill battle that you can't overcome. But I can tell you now, I am so, so so blessed that God gave me the strength to stick with it. We got through those ups and downs, those rough patches. As you'll learn, and what did you expect? And we went to war for our marriage. And God won the day. Sometimes you're going to go to war with reading God's word because Satan doesn't want you to read it. The flesh will say, this is boring. 
But you know what? All of a sudden, you stick with it, you stick with it, you stick with it, and then God will show you himself in such a way that it will just blow your mind, and you will take that with you, and you will overcome something, and you've trained yourself in this and trained yourself in this, and next week, we're going to look at what it means to have the right exercise regime. But if you will spend time in God's word, if you and I this year be a good church where we will focus on God's word, and we will, we will focus on prayer and asking the Lord to show us ourselves in his word. And we'll stir each other on, one another on to love and good deeds in the word. And we'll hold each other accountable. I guarantee you, we will be a different church if God gives us till the end of 2016, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what our economy does, regardless of who's running the government, we will be a different people. Learn it, love it, live it. This year is going to be the year of the Bible. We're going to be servants and we're going to make servants. And it's as simple as read it, pray, apply, repeat. It doesn't have to be complicated to be profound. But as I close, here's my question. I never want to take this for granted. Do you know the author of the book? So many books we read, we love the book, but we've never met or known the author. My wife loves to read. She loves Tom Clancy and Karen Kingsbury and Terry Blackstock and all these different ones. But she's never met any of the authors. But you know what? When we read God's word, I can not only say I've read it, I know the author. He's my father. And it's not because I've been good enough. It's not because I've learned the magic portion, potion or the magic formula. It's because, you know what? I went to him as his word said and said, I am a sinner who deserves judgment, who deserves hell. That's what I deserve. But God in his mercy forgave me. And I believe him and I trust in him. And you know what? I want to read his word. And next week, I'm going to challenge about that, about how what I've just said is not legalism. It's not legalism. We're going to look at our proper exercise regime next week by the grace of God. But if you will get into God's word this year, if you will spend time with God this year in his word at church, I promise you the song we're about to sing will not just be a fancy song or a really catchy tune. It will be the anthem of your life. All I have is Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to read your word out loud to talk about it, rejoice in it. Lord, we live in a world where our attention span seems to get shorter and we need bigger, brighter, fancier, more expensive things. And Lord, regrettably and tragically, often we've brought that into the church. So my God and my Savior, help me to be dumb enough to believe your word strong enough that if we will read it and study it and apply it to our lives, you will change us in a way that will even shock ourselves. And it will be the greatest testimony to our families, to our neighborhoods, to this city, province, and country. I pray, Father, that this church this year will be a good church. We'll be a church where we make this year the year of your word, make it about the Bible, where we learn it and we learn to love it and we learn to live it out. Father, where we embrace the idea that we are your servants and we not only are going to be servants, but we're going to seek to make servants. We're going to share and be witnesses of what God has done. It's not about us, it's about you. 
Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. And Father, for anybody here who's hurting or struggling or questioning or doubting or wondering if this makes sense, would you give them the quiet peace and courage to come and talk to me, to ask for prayer or to talk to that friend or that loved one that brought them to church today, to send an email or to make a phone call. But Lord, help us to discover that your word is not out of date, that you haven't forgotten how to be powerful, that this word is alive and all we have is Christ. And I pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.